Welcome to this edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're... Uh, to be honest, this week we are just barely keeping it together in foosball land. We've got coaches who don't want to coach their teams anymore. We got a team who can't play for two weeks due to a COVID outbreak in the squad. And to top it all off, we got a bunch of finance ghouls who decided to dynamite the entire European football system over the weekend. With me this week to piece through this wreckage is first my frequent companion, Nick Vildhagen. Hi there. And, uh, you know, I mean, for those financial ghouls, they're thinking forwards whilst, you know, us who are stand stuck in traditional land, we're thinking backwards, we attract bad luck. They are, you know, fortunate guys. But in the end, it, it leaves me rather tired, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going through emotional things this weekend. And of course, also, I'm joined by my less frequent but no less cherished companion, Stefan Ersfeld. Are you ready for some foosball? I'm ready for talking foosball. Uh, I've been waiting for your invitation for oh so long. I'm glad to be back. And uh, yeah, the Super League is what excites me today. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> what's exciting all true football fans in, in whatever direction your excitement uh, wants to take. We'll be talking about that along with a lot else in just a moment. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 29, and yeah, we're going to break format just because uh, it would be very, very hard not to. There's going to be lots of results for us to talk about in just a moment, but I think what we really need to get to first and foremost is the seismic event in European football. It, it, it may seem on its face like the European Super League, which as yet has no German participants that has, you know, the, the fallout has not yet reached uh, German shores. But I can assure you there are many, many implications to keep in mind about the future of the Bundesliga, the future of the Champions League, of which, you know, lots of lots of teams have long and storied history uh, among German participants. Yeah, basically, I'm sure you know the contours, but it's 12 clubs, six English clubs, three Italian clubs, three Spanish clubs, you know, as I said, no, as yet no German or French clubs. But that could change are going to break away and do their own thing instead of playing in the Champions League. And they're going to be in there permanently as opposed to having to qualify there. And the whole thing is basically predicated on first, you know, big, big payday, you know, JP Morgan or, you know, some, some bank or other. I, I don't, I don't care who it is. They're, they're, they're doing something pretty dangerous here are going to be pay each of these clubs uh, a several hundred million euro payout initial payout i'm sure that there are plans for you know continuing payments with whatever tv deal they have in place but i really feel like the crux of this is not just the monetary payout which in, in my view seems a little bit paltry if it's a one-time thing and we're not sure what the future holds it's all about the you know cutting out the risk it's all about turning football into, you know, something more like the NBA or the NFL or the closed shops of American professional leagues, which, you know, I, by all means, I follow those leagues, some of them, and, and I enjoy them, but I really like the way things go with qualification and with individual national leagues, and all that might be going out the window very soon. Stefan, since we've not talked in a really long time, I want to start with you. Are you as, as like... 
either alarmed or confused by all this as much as I am? Well, it's basically the, the end of the, uh, let's say, the European idea, which was uh, the Champions League. They're going to take it global. What I mean is the Champions League was uh, European clubs competing in Europe for a European trophy. So uh, now you have the investors coming from Abu Dhabi, from America, from Russia, from wherever. And they're not going to stop at just uh, setting up an own league, but they're going to take the game outside of Europe. So uh, from a fan's perspective, there's no way, say you're, you're a fan of Bayern Munich, you're going to follow your club to, say, Miami, where they're going to play Bayern Munich against Real Madrid if Bayern are to compete in the league, which hopefully is not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really concerned because um, also the, the league structure, they are saying they're going to put in money into the league pyramid. It's not going to happen. You can qualify for it. Uh, clubs like Arsenal, which have not played in the Champions League for, for years and years, uh, they're just going to be part of the Super League because of their name. I don't think it's it's what we want to see as, uh, as football fans. And uh, it's also a kick in the ass uh, for, for everyone uh, amid the pandemic um, because they, they told us uh, football is going to be humble and... Uh, they're going to think about uh, how they're going to approach uh, the fans, their their base, their foundation. And it's not happening. They see they lack the money and uh, they just go all in, take the money from JP Morgan or whatever bank it is, uh, which is uh, bankrolling them. And uh, they don't care about the people who actually are in the communities who are behind their clubs. And especially in England, if you look at United or Liverpool, it's a disgrace for everyone. So I'm, I'm not sure. It's it's not good. Well, Stefan, I think you're being a bit harsh here because first of all, everybody's going to travel in those Thomas Müller hazmat suits to, to you know keep affection away during the COVID nineteen pandemic. And second of all, I mean they're taking it to the fans, as they say. But you know, joking aside, it's basically an idea that's been around European football since the fifties. There's been talk periodically ever since then. I mean, the first European Cup was a result of some clubs actually threatening to start their own Super League and UEFA actually giving them a club competition instead. So this idea has been used time and time again to push UEFA into a direction that benefits the rich and big clubs of Europe. And now they've taken this as far as they can, they think. Some of them think, at least. And this is the logical conclusion to that end. Is it good? By all means, no, it's not good. It's it's absolutely laughable to say that they're doing what the fans want. It's it's a it's a kick in the face, both to domestic competitions, it's a kick in the face to UEFA. On the other hand side, I have to say, when I when I listen to Seferin, uh, the UEFA president, talking about these clubs, calling them, you know, snakes and liars and immoral and saying that, you know, we need solidarity in these times. I'm, you know, uh, I'm thinking about UEFA really hasn't stood up for any of the smaller teams in any of European countries. They've always done what the big boys want. Always, always, always. I mean, you see that the gap between the first and second place teams and the rest of the leagues within Europe has grown so far. I mean, these days, 
we're not living by the Sepp Herberger mantra of, well, you go to football matches because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. These days, you live by the mantra, well, if I'm going to watch Bayern Munich, the most exciting thing is going to see if they score two, three, four, or maybe even eight. So football has developed into that direction. And uh, well, in, in, in many ways, it's, it's the logical conclusion of that. Yeah, I, I, I agree that this is you know, not a new idea. And in fact, as you say, the, the entire history of European competition under the, the UEFA umbrella has sort of existed <laughs> with a, a pretty much a permanently gathering storm of, of European Super League, which, you know, had until this weekend not actually uh, turned into any kind of downpour. You know, I, obviously, I think that this would be a really unfortunate development. But I guess maybe the only thing that, that gives me any pause or gives me any sort of feeling of, of, you know, not ambivalence, but like perhaps something constructive can come out of this is that if this is going to be a situation where, you know, the very biggest clubs and, and you know, it could be the 12 clubs involved in this particular breakaway or, or the others who, you know, have at various times in their history threatened it. But if this is going to be a permanent state, at some point in time, the dike was going to break and it's going to happen. Is it entirely clear that if this Super League happens, and let's just say it, it's like the full nuclear option, where it's not only the Super League happens to replace the Champions League, but you know all the, the the national leagues decide to you know expel these big clubs from their domestic competitions, and they're really, really, really going it alone. Perhaps you know FIFA or UEFA are banning players from participating in international tournaments. Is it entirely clear that that situation would bring about you know the end of football as we know it. I mean, who's to say that these 12 clubs, plus however many others they recruit either on a permanent or, you know, ad hoc basis, just go off and do their thing. And then the rest of football keeps on doing its thing more or less like it is doing. Is the ecosystem of football big enough to support both of those structures? Sure. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, there's definitely going to be global interest in this. I mean, I've sort of, over the years, lost interest in the Champions League little by little because it's year in and year out has become more and more predictable. And a lot of fans feel the same way about domestic football. I mean, we're at the verge of seeing Bayern secure their ninth title in a row. I mean, we're getting close to what football was like in, you know, the 90s and early 2000s in, in Norway, where I think Rosenberg walked it alone. Uh, you know, I think they, they gathered 13 or 14 or 15 titles on the bounce. So we're getting into those in, into that territory. And I mean, Bayern, look at them this season. They've not played a particular brilliant season, but here they are, seven points clear at the top of the table and, uh, you know, barely getting out of second gear to do so. So... It's it's as, as I said. I think it's, it it might be a logical conclusion to what's been going on over the last ten years, fifteen years, and you know to think of where we start with TV rights and such. I, I'm I'm currently reading a book about the seventy one seventy two season by the German author Bernd Bayer. <laughs> I had to laugh out loud uh, when I read that uh, back in seventy one seventy two German broadcasters paid the DFB three million Deutsche Mark, which is one point five million euros which in today's currency would probably be something along with uh, 15, 15 million euros or something, for the TV rights for the entire Bundesliga. And they split it equally among all teams in the Bundesliga. So we've gone a long way from how we divide up stuff like TV money and sponsorship money and such into a direction where the rich guys have managed to get more and more and more and more 
their hands onto that big pile of money that is made available to football each year. Whilst of the rest of the teams, they haven't. And as you know, as this gap between them and the big boys is ever expanding, it's getting more and more difficult to join them. Those bigger teams. I mean, Leeds United tried a few years ago. You see how that went. I mean, <laughs> so it's rather difficult to to say that we're playing the same sport here when you see a match like Bayern München against Arminia Bielefeld, where the entire Bielefeld squad is assembled for a transfer fee of 2.4 million euros or something, uh, having a transfer market value of roughly 50, 60 million euros, whilst, you know, Bayern München is assembled for roughly 180 million euros and is worth about a billion euros. So how on earth are we playing the same sport here, guys? And Uli Hoeneß, actually, he, he remarked back in 2003 already um, that when the time has arrived that the gap between the top teams of the leagues in Europe and the rest of their competitors is so big that it's not going to be exciting anymore, the European Super League is going to be a natural consequence of that state. Hoeneß said back in 2003. Hmm. That's, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> He, he says a lot of things, and, you know, I, I guess it only stands to reason that some of them may I'm uh, the only man who has some tax moral in this country, <laughs> he said shortly before getting sentenced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, you know, as, as, as I mentioned at the top of this, this uh, section, I think everybody's aware of this, that, you know, Bayern and Dortmund, who would have been the two natural German teams to join this club and, and who I'm sure concrete conversations over this plan did happen. They both have, have since the Sunday night announcement by the, this, these 12 teams have, have basically sworn off uh, participation and, and said that this is not something they want to do right now at the, at the very least. Huh. But well, a club like Borussia Dortmund are on the stock market. I'm not, not even sure if they can say, uh, we're not going to take your $3.5 billion, uh, which would translate to, uh, think it's a 200 million per club mm -hmm. so we, we of course have the like 50 plus one ruling um where the majority of the club still is owned by the fans and it's going to be difficult uh i really hope uh both clubs have come forward today are uh, saying they're not going to take part in in the Super League, but with really soft statements uh dortmund getting behind the eca the european club association which has seen uh, or will see uh, all 12 breakaway clubs leave the European Club Association and Bayern Munich take charge of it again. Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge was uh, the head of the European Club Association and now it's going to be um, one of his assistants. And Bayern have also said they, they were not involved with it. Uh, of course, they've been offered uh, to take part in it. Uh, Germany is obviously a big market, but it's also... If you look at it from a Bundesliga perspective, it's also a good um, marketing point to say we're not going to take part in it. Because obviously, um, not only um, Germany has a big TV market, they, they also have a lot of sponsors coming um, out of Germany into um, whichever league is going to happen. And German football is uh, one of the, well, Bundesliga is one of the top five leagues, currently the fourth behind Italy, Spain, and England. And um, they're not going to stage a Super League without the German clubs. Um, it's not going to interest everyone. So um, they have a say, and uh, I think they, I hope they maintain uh, their position. Uh, they have 30, 
30 days. Uh, Spiegel just published a report saying uh, they have 30 days to decide uh, whether to take part in it or not, uh, starting from April 17th, two days ago. So 28 days left to uh, decide on whether they will be part of it. Um, if it's not going to happen, uh, will RB Leipzig join? I guess they would if they were invited, even though they said uh, they are all up for sporting competition. Um, and, uh, but we all know about Red Bull and uh, their, their, their history of uh, promoting whatever they have to promote um, through sports. And um, why not join the Super League? Well, it's going to be interesting the next couple of uh, weeks. Yeah, I, I think it's possible that Red Bull, you know, w- would prefer to sponsor the league than to have a team participating in it. I could definitely see the Red Bull uh, European Super League uh, come whatever year they launch. I mean, there there is a, there is a team that has been frequently in the Champions League and uh, won the UEFA Cup. Uh, that you know, uh, I, I think they would wouldn't mind uh, joining a league where they can cannot get relegated and have a sort of a guarantee income. Schalke. Uh, did you did you see that today? Yes, uh, I, I saw I saw that. I, I stole that joke. The Onion. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, um, but you know, all, all joking aside, I think what guys like Uli Hoeneß and Karls Rummenigge and Hans Joachim Watzke are doing. When they know that this is going to come, they know there's going to be there's going to be a reaction from UEFA. I think they're probably weighing their options now, and they're probably seeing what the outcome and the aftermath in the next couple of days is going to be like. Because right now, it's a lot of big words going back and forth between UEFA and you know these clubs, and you know when they've seen sort of the lay of the land and how this is going to impact them as a club, I think they're going to make a decision. And uh, honestly speaking, I wouldn't put it beyond neither Dortmund or Bayern, mostly Bayern, to be honest, uh, to say, well, let's do it. And, you know, as I said, Oli Hoeneß has said that, you know, almost 20 years ago, that this was going to be a natural consequence of what was going on within European football. Franz Beckenbauer even said it in 97, as he was president of Bayern München. Back then he said that... Um, you know, currencies are eradicated in Europe. The euro is coming. The European idea lives. We might very well see a European League of Clubs being established very soon. And that was, you know, 25 years ago. So for Bayern, it's sort of been a thing. It has been at the back of their heads for, for some time now, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it definitely strikes me. I mean, whether we're talking about Bayern, who as yet has said they're not participating, or, or any of the clubs who are... This definitely strikes me as a situation where the mega clubs of Europe have decided that their sort of global brand profile, to use a, a gross uh, term, but also their, their their global fan base are basically a better financial bet in the long run than the you know the local fans or or in Germany that would be members in, in a lot of cases because it's from the reaction we've seen so far. You know, the fans, the local fans of almost all these clubs don't like this idea at all. Um, they may change their tune when, when the games come on, uh, and they, 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 you know, sort of get a chance to root for their, their, their team that they like, but like, it's a real weird situation. And, and, and I'm, I'm truthfully really glad that, um, you know, Bundesliga clubs have taken the stance that they have. Who knows how long that, that will hold. But even if, even if this does come about, 
It's going to bring a lot of like unexpected consequences, uh, I'll, I'll just say. Why don't we leave the European Super League behind? I think there's just basically a, a whole other podcast to do about this, which maybe uh, maybe when we get closer to it launching or completely failing, uh, we, we can do. But let's let's talk about Bayern Munich because I feel like that's probably the next biggest piece of news from the Bundesliga on the docket this week. It's really about their coach. It's about Hansi Flick, who, you know, basically had a nice 3-2 win. It was a little bit of a squeaker in the end in Wolfsburg, but uh, Bayern saw it through. They now have, you know, they've, they've restored a somewhat more commanding lead over the championship race. But Hansi Flick, who has been flirting with the idea of leaving Bayern Munich or, or, or sort of hinting at it in press conferences and, and various places for the past couple of months, <laughs> basically just let the cat right out of the bag in the sort of a post post-match uh, set of comments saying, you know, I've already told the management, I've already told the team, I want to be out of here at the end of the season. And, you know, there, there's a lot behind that. There's a lot of, of, of reasons of timing why this might not be uh, the best time for Bayern to be going into upheaval, even leaving all the European Super League stuff aside. Stefan, what, what is your take on, you know, where this leaves Bayern moving forward? I'm, I'm, pretty convinced that that they're going to end up, you know, sealing this championship. That would be, you know, two for two for Hansi Flick, uh, which is not a bad way to, to, you know, build your resume. But if they can't get hold of Julian Nagelsmann, who so far has been pretty circumspect in his comments on this, and RB have been pretty forceful in their comments, what is Bayern going to do? Well, we have to say... Um da kannst du auch einen Kartoffelsack hinsetzen. You can put a potato back there and uh, he'll win the league. <laughs> Which is yeah. basically uh, coming back to Nick's uh, Super League comments on, on Bayern running away with the uh, German league for nine years now. But first of all, uh, Hansi Flick appointed himself as the uh, put pressure on the, the German FA as well. He said he wants out because he obviously uh, he wants maybe the, the Joachim Löwler Germany, yeah, well, he wants yeah. Joachim Löw life. He doesn't want to sit in front of uh, the media every third day. He doesn't. He came uh, stormed uh, to uh, six, now seven titles, or the seventh title is coming. It's going to go down into the Bayern history books as one of the uh, most successful coaches. And uh, what is after that? Last summer, he wanted other players than uh, Salihamidzic brought in. Uh, that's basically how they fell out. Uh, it all started in January 2020 already when he asked for Hudson Odoi um, and he got um, someone else. Then he asked for a right back and he got Odoi from from Madrid. Salihamidzic wouldn't uh, allow him to make any signings. So um, in the end, he, he got they signed um, Marco Rocker for, for Salihamidzic as a sort of like the, uh, the Tuchel and uh, situation when they signed Götze and Schürrle to make everyone happy. Tiagas was uh, the other one uh, for, they bought for Flick. Uh, both had, haven't made any impact at all. Uh, Bundesar at right back is not playing. Um, so the transfer philosophy um, is not not something uh, Flick felt right about uh, with Alaba leaving, with Boateng leaving this summer. Um, and he I think he's just uh, in a position where he said, uh, there's not going to be anything positive for me in it anymore after this summer. For Bayern, they're looking at Nagelsmann, and um, 
why shouldn't he join? Um, he he only said he doesn't want to go on war with uh, RB Leipzig, but um, if there's an opening at Bayern and he knows um, it's going to be another two years, and uh, I think he wants to return to to Munich, a uh, place he he's uh, got his house, he's got his home, his family. Nagelsmann will be uh, the next FC Bayern coach, um, regardless of whatever um, they say. And 20 million is not a lot of money for, for Bayern Munich. Gladbach paying 7.5 million for Hütter, Dortmund playing, paying 5 million for, for Rose. Uh, whoever wants to uh, trigger Glasner's buyout clause if there is one at Wolfsburg. So um, it's quite common now, and uh, 20 million for Bayern. Uh, if they buy a player or they buy a, a coach, uh, he brings his staff to the, the club because all of the staff at Bayern will be leaving as well. Uh, Niral, the assistant coach, uh, Miro, Klose, uh, they all appear to be leaving with Flick. Um, it's going to be a changeover. I think Bayern will be fine in the long run, and it's not all uh, Salihamidzic bad. Flick, the good guy. It's grey, and um, they'll be fine. Yeah, you know, in, in, in terms of, of Nagelsmann, everything has its price. And um, it seems to be a feeling that Nagelsmann has taken that project at RB Leipzig as far as he can. I mean, he's turned them into a formidable side in the Bundesliga. And he's shown what he can do at Hoffenheim, taking them to the Champions League. He's shown what he can do at RB Leipzig, taking them to the semifinals in the Champions League. So he sort of has shown that he's earned... He's earned the place at the big boys' table, even though he still looks like a teenager in some some photos that you see of him. And for him, I mean, not to be rude to RB Leipzig and and their concept and their model, but for him, it's probably more attractive playing in that league where you actually can go out and compete for the Champions League in two or three out of four seasons. Whilst with RB Leipzig, that chance is not, not there yet. And it depends on, well, basically how much money I'll be allowed to, um, well, the, the corporate benefactors are willing to spend on that team. Right now, that amount is not big enough to, to do something like that. And, you know, as you can see, uh, Pumacano is already joining Bayern München. Konate might be on his way out to Liverpool. You know, despite being a good club and a good address for a lot of Europe's finest talents, the club also has the problem that once that talent has developed, Bigger and better clubs come along and, you know, sign those talents. RB might make some a lot of money on those transfers, but it, it sort of leaves a coach like Nagelsmann, you know, having to rearrange his team each in, each season and, you know, maybe making rearrangements that he necessarily doesn't want to make. And as a coach of Bayern München, that would obviously be uh, less necessary. Yeah, in my view, I feel like the uh, maybe the storybook version of Julian Nagelsmann's uh, career would have included something a little bit more out of this phase at RB Leipzig. I mean, you know, he, he's certainly the, the the club has been in good good hands under him, but um, a, a more credible title challenge might have made things a little sweeter. But you know, timing doesn't always work out for 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 folks. Any thoughts about uh, Bayern's win over Wolfsburg? It certainly um, gets them closer to the title. It gets Wolfsburg a little bit into you know further difficulty when it comes to holding on to their Champions League spot. I mean, some sub subplots coming out of this game. Jamal Musiala, you know, he's he's 
got a couple of goals. He's now, you know, the youngest player to, to score, what, six goals in a season or some some such record like that, some random thing. Youngest Bayern player to score a brace as well. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, for Bayern, I mean, you know, once they've got that 3-1, they they, um, they were a little bit sloppy and they could have been punished there at the end by uh, Rission, uh, who he had a chance storming towards Manuel Neuer, but his shot went off target and was, you know, not hard enough, uh, not well-placed enough. But yeah, I mean, for Bayern, this season is going to peter out. They know that they're going to be crowned champions at the end of the season. And the most exciting thing is is whether or not Robert Lewandowski is able to actually break that Gerd Müller record because he'll have about four matches to do that when he returns next weekend against Mainz. So, um, you know, can Robert Lewandowski get six goals in four matches? You know, that that's that's all the excitement that's left in the season for, for Bayern München and, and its fans. Because obviously they're not in the Champions League anymore, they're not in the Cup anymore, and... Um, that's pretty much what they have to play for. That's pretty exciting, though. Right? Why can you get six goals? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. You know, I'm not. You're not you know, emotionally not, invested in uh, this record, even though you're reading the book on the season when uh, Müller set the record back in 1972. Yeah, I mean, get Müller's season was. It was a little bit more troublesome. It was actually. It actually got off to a very poor start. He didn't really get going with the scoring before, I think, match day five or six. He was actually booed by his own fans. And during that season, they were, he was going to join Hertha Berlin. Then he was going to join Feyenoord at Rotterdam. And there was this uh, kicker phone-in interviews where players only were given uh, a fraction of a second to think, you know, uh, to answer. So they weren't thinking about his answer, about their answers. And, uh, you know, in that phone-in interviews, which was sort of like letters by readers, read out to the players he sort of said that yeah i could i could imagine joining VfB stuttgart if i uh, if i if i get a right offer yeah i could imagine joining a club abroad if i got a right offer yeah i, I could just about imagine joining any club that puts enough money on the table for me because at that time funnily enough get muller um didn't feel necessarily appreciated by Bayern München and its officials because he thought that he was not making enough money, others in the team were making more money than him. And, you know, in the end, Bayern München managed to keep hold of him and, um, well, the rest, as, as you know, is history. Yep, yep. Maybe maybe history will be made again this year. I think the chances have, have decreased a lot from where they were uh, a, a month ago. Sadly. Okay, we, we, we talked about Bayern. We talked about uh, Hansi Flick wanting out. We probably should talk about the other coach who has um, already said he is out and already has a new job lined up. I guess this is, you know, <laughs> the second announcement of this nature that we heard uh, this season following Marco Rosa moving from Gladbach to Dortmund. Now we have Adi Hütter moving from Eintracht to Gladbach and uh, similarly <laughs> in the uh, direct head-to-head matchup between the two teams uh, the the coach on the move did not come out the winner this was a 4-0 win for Gladbach versus Eintracht this weekend basically set pieces and uh, a few maybe some unforced errors uh, led to to this win for Gladbach but it's interesting to me this whole constellation of of every coach sort of moving one seat over in in the game of of coaching musical chairs i have no sort of um moral compunction or or you know uh idea that like 
coaches with buyout clauses, you know, deserve to have those clauses triggered and to move to wherever they want to be. It is making the last weeks of this season for a lot of clubs real, real weird, though, right? It surely is. Um, well, there was this interview with uh, with Hutter. Uh, I think it was post match where he said um, he's really looking forward to, uh, to uh, coaching in that stadium because it's also a nice stadium, and they also have nice fans at uh, Gladbach, like they have at Frankfurt, and uh, it's all sort of like this detachment from from any sort of tradition our uh, German clubs are uh, still live on um, from those uh, coach mostly actually coming from uh, the RB school of coaching, the Ralf Rangnick school of coaching uh, where they, they, they become their own companies and uh, just take their, the talents to, to another town. Um, it's really interesting to see that this is happening in, in football uh, Wolfsburg as well, where Glasner is, well, he there was this conversation between Hansi Flick and uh, Oliver Glasner on the day before the match because uh, Glasner is still living in a hotel and it happened to be the hotel where Bayern was staying. And uh, so they sat down Glasner and Flick on Friday night and discussed their own futures. And um, I think it was Flick who said... Um, Glasner informed me about his plans, and uh, he's very much in the know uh, about my plans. Um, so, really, like again, looking at it from a, a fan's standpoint, it's really weird to see that people come and go, and uh, we know that players do that, and we know that uh, coaches got, get sacked. But all of a sudden, they they become their own, like I said, companies um, who um, just move on. So that's uh, a new thing we see in Bundesliga this season, obviously with the bio clauses and um, with um, they triggering at uh, weird stages. Like Frankfurt are now only four points clear of Dortmund. They should still be fine. I think uh, Wolfsburg are in more trouble to, uh, to actually fall behind Dortmund if Dortmund win all their remaining matches. It's a strange situation and um, it's going to put... Frankfurt in some sort of trouble because obviously you've been discussing this. Uh, they lost Bobic as well. They lost Hübner. Are they going to probably lose Silva up front across Stitch? So um, we can see a team maybe qualifying for the Champions League and then uh, falling apart, which is really sad. No team that has Martin Hinteregger at the back falls apart. I think it might speak to a little bit more awareness, self-awareness among this generation of coaches than in the previous generations of coaches. Because if you speak to coaches, many of them will tell you that, um, you know, two to three years is pretty much an ideal time frame to work with a team. Going beyond those three, three years is a hard trick to pull off. And when you see down the history books of German football, I mean, how many coaches do you have who have managed to pull off that trick of, you know, working with the same team for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? I mean, you've Otto Rehagel and uh, Thomas Schaaf at Werder Bremen, both stayed for, I think, almost 15 years. You've got Volker Finke at Freiburg, and then you have Christian Streich at Freiburg. And, you know, then it's it's pretty much a huge gap down to everybody else. Because once you're the gaffer, once you're the boss, you know, working on that, on, you know, 
trying to to communicate your idea of football. Your ideas get old at some point, and at some point, those 22, 30 individuals standing in front of you, they don't want to hear the same crap over and over again. They get tired of it. So rejuvenating that position every now and then is actually a good thing in that regard. And, you know, these coaches, they know that, you know, instead of maybe getting the sack, maybe let's move on whilst the going is still good. Yeah, that strikes me. I mean, there was a lot of head scratching around, you know, German footballdom about Adi Hütter's move uh, from Frankfurt, a team quite likely to make the Champions League to Gladbach, a team fairly unlikely to make uh, Europe of any kind, although, you know, the <laughs> 4-0 win over Eintracht it helps a little bit. But I definitely see that the trend lines, you know, could potentially favor Gladbach, especially with the real clear out that, you know, we just talked about coming up in the, in, in the summer. I think, you know, Eintracht is still a team that if they get the right coach and the right sporting director in place, I still think that that's a team that has quite a bright future. But I am not terribly surprised to see uh, a coach who probably even still sees Gladbach as not the highest uh, place where he wants to be in his career. If he's, he's you know, moving on up, he could definitely see that as, as the next run in things. But, but wouldn't you take, like, with the fans coming back uh, sometime in the fall and uh, Eintracht Frankfurt playing Champions League for the first time, you've got those wild fans there. Come on, you can stay there for another season, even if you'll finish 12th exit at the group stage of the Champions League. But it's just uh, something you want to experience in your life. Be, be part of that. Because he, uh, he played in the Europa League and he uh, took them to the uh, last four against Chelsea. So he knows what, what Frankfurt fans are all about. So you want to play um, Real Madrid. Obviously, they are no longer in the Champions League maybe next season, but uh, other clubs will be. <laughs> I was about to say, maybe Adi Hütter has a, has a direct line to uh, <laughs> the folks at uh, the Super League. <laughs> yeah, so everything falls apart, I've said before. Um, Let's stop him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Severin, he, he doesn't get the truth truth out of Agnelli, but Adi Hütte does. He knew this all along. No Juventus, no Real. Well, screw it. I don't need to be in the Champions League with Eintracht Frankfurt because who enjoys matches in the Champions League against Limassol? I, yeah, I'm not sticking around for that. Nah, nah, but um, as, as for the match, I have to say, if we could talk about that, I... What really struck me about it is that Gladbach have like scored from set pieces a lot all season long, and they scored basically two of the goals directly after corner kicks. The third one coming coming after uh, a corner kick that wasn't cleared properly, and only one game goal of, out of open play. I mean that is pretty much textbook of how not to defend against Gladbach. So um, in that regard, maybe a good thing that. Um, Hütter <laughs> is moving to them because um, he's actually played them as a coach eight times and he hasn't won once against Gladbach, which is a is a funny tidbit. Indeed, indeed. I feel like simply in the interest of moving uh, our time along, we should probably get to what I think is a fairly interesting subplot about getting back into the Champions League. And I say back intentionally because these are these are teams who really, I think, consider themselves natural Champions League teams. That's Dortmund and Leverkusen. Both of these teams seem to play with a certain type of fire, knowing what is at stake for them. Leverkusen beat uh, local rivals Cologne, who, uh, you know, had their, their brand new old 
coach, Friedhelm Funkel, in charge for the first time, whereas uh, Dortmund were 4-1 winners over Werder Bremen and, you know, did it oddly enough after, you know, going behind fairly early on. I guess first, maybe we should talk briefly about Leverkusen Cologne. I think, you know, on paper, that's a real mismatch. And, you know, it hasn't always played out that way on the pitch, especially uh, in in recent years with the the sort of Derby subplot. But this was, uh, you know, pretty comprehensive stuff from Leverkusen, if not the kind of performance, uh, dominant ball heavy performance that we we might have expected them under previous coaches. Yeah. And, you know, to see that. Cologne was basically counted off the park in the second half. Um, speaks really to a bit of naivete on, on Cologne's part. And additionally, you know, as, as I said last week, what, what are you going to accomplish by firing the coach at this stage of the season? It's pretty much, it's always so reactive because you always talk about, you know, setting new impulses. Was the problem at Cologne is quite clearly that the way that this team has been assembled by the sporting director points to the fact that this squad isn't well balanced enough to compete in the Bundesliga right now. And that is not Marcus Gisdol's fault. And uh, bringing in somebody new is maybe, just maybe, going to improve your results for a couple of weeks. But then, you know, the team will show its true colours again. And um, uh, and given that Funkel has his start against Leverkusen and next week against Leipzig, uh, those first couple of weeks is probably not going to bring them any sort of results anyway. So, um, I mean, for me, it's it's sad to say, but for me, I think that Cologne are really looking like they're doomed right about now. Yes, they're four points behind Bielefeld. But you know what? I think right now I, I actually would back Bielefeld to maybe even jump a couple of teams ahead of them on the table. And Cologne... Definitely, definitely going down and, you know, seeing their season as a whole, definitely deserved. Yeah, maybe we can get on to that. Um, <laughs> the interesting takeaway that you brought up there of uh, the likes of, of, of Werder Bremen, who, you know, a few weeks ago thought that they were uh, home and dry, maybe less so after uh, the string of results they've been going through. Why don't we go ahead and talk about uh, Dortmund versus Werder, which is, oddly enough, uh, a matchup between the two teams that that y'all support. How much confidence, uh, Stefan, do you have in Dortmund sort of maybe not winning out the rest of the season, but getting the points that they need to squeak back into the Champions League? I mean, we saw them in the Champions League, the way that they went out to City, they they you know, it wasn't such a close tie, but it, they didn't feel miles away. This does still feel like a Champions League team on their day. But the problem has been this season, there's there's just not been enough of those days. Maybe they'll have some. Well, <laughs> the, the way they went out in Champions League is uh, also closely connected to uh, their main problem, uh, which is in goal, in yeah, defense. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. All that you see, uh, conceded against Werder Bremen. Um, it's a good run by Rashica, but um, hits, uh, he, he didn't move for, for the shot, which is taken from a well, from an angle where you get the ball. He didn't uh, put his right leg out. Um, he had a similar moment in the uh, first leg against Manchester City uh, where Gunwan passable Foden and he just had to move a step forward and uh, he could have cleared the ball. Um, so Dortmund at the keeper position are not Champions League standard. And it's going to 
hurt them this season. Uh, Bremen, um, they scored. They only have uh, nine clean sheets in all uh, competitions, I believe, uh, this season. It's too many goals they concede. Um, they can't uh, really pressure the opponent. Uh, they play well. The, ga- the goals against Werder Bremen. Uh, Nick's gonna know about this. Um, <laughs> Dortmund should not have scored three of them. Oh, there was one great goal by uh, Gio Reyna, and then they had this penalty. And uh, well, <laughs> the three-one where two Bremen players uh, sort of set up Erling Haaland, who just had to tap in the ball, and then uh, some some misled clearance on the line uh, for the fourth one. So um, it wasn't as clear as the result, and uh, it's going to be difficult for Dortmund. They are up against Union Berlin now, and then they travel to Wolfsburg. Obviously, they're going to win both games. If they're going to win them, they're closer to Wolfsburg, and there's going to be pressure on Wolfsburg. So um, the fear of losing might kick in over at the Mittelland Canal. But for now, I don't see Dortmund uh, getting anywhere near a Champions League position. I mean, when I saw that Werder Bremen took the lead, I was sort of like, oh, well, maybe we're in one of those typical Dortmund matches. Uh, uh, You know, opposition just sit back... Dortmund creates maybe a few decent chances and then the opposition hits them on the counter and it's 2-0. Which there have been too many instances of this season, really. But yeah, in, in this match it was basically Werder Bremen doing the job for Borussia Dortmund because I think for the first goal, Giorena, yes, he makes, you know, when you see the how the goal started, how he passes the ball on the left wing and then he makes that run towards the center and he gets into a shooting position and uh, finish off the moves that he started. About that guy, we have to say that the Bremen defense wasn't quickly enough on his feet. Uh, they didn't close him down quickly enough. His shot was brilliant. Uh, he, has a, he has a tradition of scoring beautiful goals against Werder Bremen, which uh, I don't enjoy much, but the rest of the world probably does. But yeah, the other three match goals really, really, Maxi Eggestein bringing down Michael Royce in the penalty area like that. Absolutely schoolboy error that you wouldn't expect from such an experienced player. And the other two goals, such slapstick defending. It's it sort of reeks of last season when Werder Bremen got to the regulation playoff. And, uh, you know, after five losses on the bounce, you know, five matches ago, I, I saw at this run of five matches and I thought, okay, Werder Bremen, our favorite are not favorites in any of these they actually if i tip those matches individually i would say that they would lose all five of them but if they can get one win or a couple of draws they should be fine in terms of the relegation playoff uh, spot and should have enough of a gap down to that spot for the last five matches remaining but now with uh, Mainz and Hertha actually having that match against each other in hand with Bielefeld only being three points behind them and this match against Mainz coming up, fear is going to creep in, and it's um, it's so crucial for Werder to get a result against Mainz because obviously Mainz has a very tough uh, tough end to the season with you know I, th- I think pretty much I think Dortmund, Wolfsburg, or Bayern or something like that coming up in the last on the last three match days, but you know keeping Mainz uh, behind them until that runoff matches comes up for Mainz is probably going to be key in terms of how Vero Bremen are going to fare. And for Verde, the two key matches now are Mainz next uh, tomorrow, and uh, then a couple of weeks down the line, they're actually playing against Augsburg. So get four points from those matches, you'll be fine. Lose both of them, yeah, Bielefeld is probably going to jump you in the table. 
And a couple of other teams. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's much, much, uh, danger potentially in store for Vanderlet. Let's leave that behind and we'll come back in part two talking about that matchup that wasn't, that could have affected Bremen's placement in the table. All right, here's part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 29, and, uh, you know, if, if you've been following along at home all weekend, you will have noticed that there were only eight games played on the weekend. You know, I made reference to it in the, the intro to the show. It's certainly been on my mind a lot, knowing my sympathies. But Hertha uh, Bayase, they have a COVID-19 problem. In the team, their goalkeeper Rooney Yashtein, you know, contracted COVID on international duty, had been hospitalized at one point. He seems to have uh, at least made a, re- a recovery, maybe not to playing shape, but you know, out of hospital shape. And subsequently, we had two people from the, the uh, coaching staff, including Paul Dardai, uh, two players in Dodi Lukabakio and now Marvin Plattenhart, uh, all testing positive for COVID after. Uh, Things got that widespread. The club and consultation with some of the, uh, the, the, the health, the public health authorities sort of made the decision that a full quarantine as opposed to a partial one uh, for, for part of the team needed to happen. Because this was an English week in the Bundesliga, that happens to mean that the team uh, had to cancel three games including this weekend's one that wasn't in Mainz. That certainly uh, complicates the picture for Hertha moving forward. They're now going to have, when they get back in the saddle after not only this English week, but all the way to the end of of next weekend, that means they're going to have three consecutive English weeks to round out the season, which is um, pretty tough. That's also going to mess up the teams who they have to play in that stretches uh, schedule. It's also... Not entirely clear whether there won't be other teams over the next month or so who might also run into this problem, considering how things have been going in Germany. Stefan, you said that you were actually in contact uh, through the the press call that um, you know Anna Friedrich and uh, Carsten Schmidt, the sporting director and uh, you know sort of chairman of of Hertha or CEO rather, had when they announced this decision. How much of a roadblock do you view i mean did you get a sense from these guys when they were making this decision about you know what the future might hold for herta and what is your sort of feeling about where this could go both for them and and for the rest of the league well for herta it's uh it's been like one of those uh while was me seasons. the second consecutive one the second mean? consecutive one yeah after after Klinsman, um you still have uh all those uh, why always me moments, um, and this this COVID case, those COVID cases now. Um, actually, we we got to think German league could run into a problem uh, because Jarstein actually trained with the uh, Hertha squad uh, for one training session yeah. mm-hmm. uh, because he he played for for Norway, and I guess uh, Nick would know more about this. Uh, he played one match uh, where he was substituted because he felt uh, fatigued after forty five minutes. And then he played the third match, which was the, the uh, second match of a three-day uh, international, three-match international break. And um, then he returned to Berlin. He was tested negative. 
Uh, he returned to training, and uh, he only felt the symptoms after training with the squat. So there's a actually possibility, and I guess that's part of the reason uh, they had to isolate after those four cases you were talking about. Um, and it's dangerous for for Hertha because well, 14 days of not training as a team. Uh, even Arne Friedrich he said, uh, "We're gonna grow together as a group." in isolation, which is not happening because, well, you can't grow together as a group when you're not together. It's at least more difficult. Um, also, you don't have any football-related training, so all the movements you have to make on a pitch, uh, there's going to be more injuries, possibly, when they return because of the workload. They have to do eight, maybe eight matches if they're going to play the playoffs, um, the relegation playoffs. They're currently uh, 16 on that the relegation playoff place uh, we talked about Cologne. Um, Cologne will maybe not even pick up more points and so um, might have Hertha there. And um, it's been a really, really difficult season for those guys. Um, not a lot of confidence in the team. And, um, well, it's it's a really sad, <laughs> sad way for, for the club, um, which uh, was hoping to... Uh, conquer Europe this this season to end up like that in a situation where we are near the Düsseldorf situation Hatter had a couple of years ago where they lost in the playoffs. You know, it's sort of like <laughs> Hertha actually had a, f- a very difficult schedule on, up until this point, and now they were going to play the teams around them at the table, which sort of would have given them a chance to really make great strides. And... It's sort of typical of Hertha's season, as you point out, that this is happening now, because in the weeks prior to this, they actually started picking up good results. You know, they got that draw against Union Berlin, they got that draw against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, they got that spectacular win against Bayer Leverkusen, and you thought, five points from three matches? And the battle against relegation? That is 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 some great results from the last three matches. But now, all team training is stopped, obviously, and... It's going to be difficult to, you know, find a way of playing football afterwards. I mean, Dynamo Dres were in a sort of similar situation last season, I seem to remember, where they uh, were quarantined for some time due to COVID. And then they had sort of this mammoth task of playing more matches than anybody else. And the team completely fell apart under that. Utterly and utterly fell apart under that. And whilst Arne Friedrich might think that they are growing together as a group in isolation, maybe they are online on the PlayStation playing FIFA against each other, but it's not going to translate to results on the actual pitch, most likely. Well, Friedrich uh, called it an experiment, and um, Carsten Schmidt said um, they don't know if they're going to take any legal action, So, because there's obviously um, it's, it's a situation never nobody mm-hmm. has ever been into, um, and uh, I don't think they're going to run into a situation where they can actually take legal actions against the league. For what reason? Um, he didn't really know. He was asked about it. But um, he also said he doesn't really know because um, the, the case numbers here are going up. And footballers are, well, even though they're in a bubble, they have kids who are attend school or who to go to the kindergarten. So uh, what they're actually trying to do is uh, they're going to set up a sort of a bubble for the last couple of games, so the last three games of the Cup weekend on May 1st. And uh, I think they're going to announce it sometime this week or maybe next week that all teams will be placed into a quarantine just to um, make sure 
that nobody get in, gets infected and uh, teams can play on and finish the season on May 22nd and, uh, well, have a clear clear end and hopefully get the, the fans back uh, and get, uh, again, get some sort of herd immunity in Germany to make things safer from August on when the new season starts. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also interesting thing in terms of Mainz because Mainz obviously play a very important match as we mentioned earlier against Werder Bremen midweek on, on Wednesday and you know the thing is Mainz actually go into this match well rested having had the chance to work on the training pitch and uh, Werder Bremen had a very demanding match on just on Sunday so <laughs> in terms of um, what it means for the competition it sort of has a knock-on effect onto others as well and it, it might mine haven't played in 10 days so uh, might be a bonus for Bremen well yeah I mean what's better now is, is it better to be well rested in towards the end, back end of, of the season or is it better not to or is it best to have you know that much practice in your legs and be part of that I mean it's just, you probably ideally speaking you want you want a, a reasonable flow of matches coming your way so 10 days might be a little bit too much yes I agree but on the other hand side as I said Bremen have I've played a very demanding match away at Borussia Dortmund on Sunday and now they're playing probably one of their most important if not the most important match of their season on Wednesday it's, what you're saying is it's not a fair competition uh, 100% fair competition no nah, but I mean that it's, it's, we always knew that with the Covid season coming up that you know you might have such such scenarios and um you know, just last week it looked like we might steer clear of it in, in the Bundesliga, but obviously in the Bundesliga too, you've had a number of teams you know, going in and out of quarantine. And look at Holstein Kiel, for instance, in, in the Bundesliga too. I mean, they they were serious contenders for promotion. And um, now that, that sort of those constant streams of quarantines coming their way has sort of knocked a little bit the steam out of that uh, promotion push for them. Yeah, and let's not forget they are still playing in the uh, Cup, even though they are away at Dortmund. They beat Bayern at home. So, uh, And uh, we talked about Dortmund. You can beat Dortmund this season. So, um, But they're coming back from a quarantine uh, situation where they haven't played in, uh, not sure how many weeks? Two, three weeks? Two, yeah, two, yeah, two, yeah, two weeks, I think, yeah. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, let's be honest. My dream Cup final of Holstein Kiel against Werder Bremen, probably not going to happen. Well, no. No, and, and, and I think, I think Nick, you probably could have said that any day. Ever since the uh, the, the the draw was made, uh, let's 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 move on and let wrap things up with a few more results. I don't really want to talk a lot about uh, the the two nil nil results, so I will simply mention them. Uh, Augsburg and Bielefeld, nobody scored in that game. Certainly was more helpful to Bielefeld, who need all the points they can get, than to Augsburg, who are kind of. You know, they're just floating in, 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 in Mittelfeld or Mittelmaß, whichever way you want to look at They're it. A bunch of floaters. Uh, Hoffenheim and Leipzig, uh, nobody scored in that game either, which definitely was sort of a playing against type situation. Those are a couple of teams that uh, don't have a lot of neutrals on their side, but sometimes do because they play attractive football, at least from a very sort of aesthetic perspective, but this was not that necessarily. Only thought that comes to mind for me, and I see this actually in, in your notes uh, as sort of a diss, uh, Nick, talking about 
Stefan Ortega, uh, the Bielefeld goalkeeper, making a big impact on this game. The most touches of any player on the pitch. I just stole your stole your tidbit. <laughs> I think he's quite good. I think he could, uh, you know, could be could be uh, a bit of a target over the summer for an ambitious club. I mean, by mention of by mention of already been said to be interested in him, and uh, you know, I mean, he said openly, you know, once you get a offer on the table for, from Bayern München. You think about He's it. The, he wants to be the new Sven Ulreich. Pretty much, yeah, because Alexander Newell is uh, probably going going out on a loan uh, for one or two seasons, so Bayern München need a backup then. And uh, Stefan Ortega, if he's the sort of guy who sits on the bench, uh, like Tom Starker, like Sven Ulreich, and so many others have done you know, before those guys, yeah, would be spectacular get, and for Ortega, it would probably mean you know that that family second family home in the Bahamas is is etching ever closer in in terms of the wage increase that he'll be facing once he moves a little bit further south. But well, still, would be sad to see him leave uh, the big stage because he obviously wouldn't get any game time at Bayern uh, yeah, for the odd cup match. And, absolutely. Um, so, and talking talking about keepers, um, the keeper on the other end, Gikovic, uh, he made quite the impact for for Augsburg. So uh, he basically rescued their season. So um, if you have someone on the on a keeper position, um, who can actually uh, make saves, uh, unlike uh, Hitz or Berkey in Dortmund goal, for instance, uh, they can help you win points. And I I prefer Bielefeld to stay up because uh, obviously. Uh, if, if you'd have a game Bielefeld against Bochum next season, this will be a full-on 90s football in Bundesliga once again, um, which would be nice from a traditional point of view. Are we, are we talking? Are we talking Ram foosball? Are we talking the big taxifit logo on Peter Neurer's somewhat silly jacket? That's yes. Full-on Stefan Kunz coming back out of retirement. Ali <laughs> uh, Dai for Bielefeld. Michael Sternkopf, those sort of guys are back in the game. Rob Maul, oh Jesus, that, that was a sight. That Ernst Bindorp, make a comeback in Germany, please. Still is the most handsome man in South Africa. Ernst Bindorp, most handsome man in the world. <laughs> the world, yeah. So uh, yeah, I would absolutely love to uh, to see uh, the um with the fans because actually they're one of the teams who never played in front of fans at the beginning of the season because uh, well the, the case numbers were too high uh, already in Bielefeld when the fans were back for the first couple of matches in Bundesliga um, yeah Ortega has to stay uh, at Bielefeld Bielefeld have to uh, remain in the Bundesliga need to pick up all those points it's going to be very very um, tight for them still and yeah um, I'm all up for him staying and not joining Bayern. And what's going to happen to Nubel? Nubel's <laughs> Dortmund might need a keeper. Does he join a Monaco on loan? Oh, I'm not sure. The Schalke guy. Let's let's move on to Schalke. <laughs> exactly. That that would that would be great. That would be great. Uh, great sort of content. Freiburg and Schalke played this weekend. Uh, I probably don't even have to tell you uh, who won that one. Um, it was the team that. The, the team that always loses lost. <laughs> they lost 
you know, fear to know uh, in this case, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, the other way around, which is, you know, the, the, the worst result for them. What are we losing? What are we losing? Because, you know, Schalke need to lose just one more game before they are mathematically eliminated from, from you know, the potential of safety in this Bundesliga season. I mean, I think we've all kind of come to terms, but, you know, what are we losing here that, that Schalke is going to be moving down to the Zweite Bundesliga? I think I'm going to let that do. I, you know, I think I'm going to let the Dortmund fan answer this one first. We're losing one of the biggest clubs, one of the uh, the best clubs in the league, one of the the clubs with um, with the best fans, and uh, we're just going to lose a lot of heart and emotions. I'm I'm really sad uh, to to actually see them go down. Um, even though I'm a Dortmund fan, because um, Schalke are what. German football is about uh, if they uh, if they don't <laughs> don't go uh, like like they did the last three seasons maybe but um, all those fans don't deserve it and uh, those fans um, what they did this season are uh, to to fight uh, whatever opposition came up um, to 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 actually say it's our club or we're we're not going to let let you guys take it away from us uh, it's been really special to, to follow them and um, I really hope they can bounce back I'm not sure they can because um, obviously they have uh, huge financial debts uh, and uh, they have to cut down their salaries uh, to I think 22 million from uh, it's 100 million now I'm not sure how this is going to happen but uh, yeah it's I don't know what happened uh, exactly, how they uh, just uh, imploded like they did, but um, it's a really sad story. And um, as, a, as a football lover, um, there's nothing better than getting off. I'm not sure how many of your listeners have uh, actually been to a match at uh, the, uh, what they call the Feltins Arena. Um, so you get off at the station at Schalke, you take a uh, Gelsenkirchen Hauptbahnhof, you take a tram, and you reach the Schalke Meile, which is um, sort of like the founding place of the club. And uh, you just see there's a church where you can pray before the match that Schalke win. Uh, you can just get out, get a get a beer in front of washing machines. And it's a, it's a really great place. A lot of um, shops, empty shops on that street. And then you... Um, Go a bit further up north and you, you hit uh, Glückaufkampfbahn, which is their old stadium up until the 1970s before they uh, moved into the uh, Parkstadion. And uh, on some match days, you would hear uh, the, the Schalke Ultras warming up at the Glückaufkampfbahn, singing their songs. And then uh, you head up north and uh, you go into the Feltins Arena, which is an okay stadium. Uh, and yeah. Football without uh, Schalke will be very, very different in Germany. Yep, yep. I, you know, yeah, the game day experience in Gelsenkirchen is uh, is is definitely one of the best. I guess you know we have. Oddly enough, Freiburg, the, the team that defeated Schalke this weekend, uh, they are in a cluster with the two teams who played each other this weekend, Union Berlin and uh, VfB Stuttgart, who we have not yet talked about. Union beat Stuttgart 2-1. At the moment, we've got Union level on points with Gladbach. They are, however, in, in eighth behind them due to, you know, uh, I guess, goals scored. Union have a three-point advantage over Freiburg in ninth and uh, a four-point uh, edge on Stuttgart in tenth. Do any, either of you rate 
any of these three teams' chances of of you know breaking into that top seven because depending on how the cup turns out, seventh still might be enough to get yourself into the conference league. I guess it will. Um, you know, I'm looking at the schedules of those teams in in that cluster. I would say like Gladbach are probably the most likely to. Um, I mean, they have that match against Bayern and all the other four matches they have got coming up is are pretty much winnable matches for them and they sort of seem to have turned the corner. Um, that unrest that was around the time when Marco Rosa, when the story was, Marco Rosa, is he going to leave? Is he going to stay? What's going on with Marco Rosa? Oh, he's going to leave. How is that going to affect Bloodbuff? You know, that storm has sort of, they've weathered that and uh, this has died down and people have sort of reached the, and the media as well, have sort of reached the phase of acceptance and now Global have gotten back to, you know, basically doing their work and um, they're doing it so quite well. So, so honestly, if, if I was to pick a side out of that cluster, I probably I probably would go for Gladbach. Yeah, but I, I'd love to see uh, Union Berlin play uh, play one of the European competitions because um just great to have uh, the circus come to town at the uh, Alte Festerei. It's going to be a big match for them on Wednesday if they can take points off Dortmund. Um, but uh, yeah. Like you were saying, uh, the schedule favors uh, Gladbach and uh, the run of form also favors Gladbach. Oh, well, that is a wrap for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced with care by none other than Aiden Rantoul. Nick, really lovely to speak with you again. A A few weeks is a few too many. It is, it is. But, you know, you know what it's like. I've bought a cabin and stuff, so, um been busy i know i know you, you showed me the old uh real estate website picks for that, that cabin I'm, I'm i'm pretty psyched on your behalf and already thinking about how i can get to to, to norway once uh <laughs> the world allows travel again in that sort of way yeah let's do that or well otherwise you probably have to swim <laughs> uh, you know i it's I, I, I don't have that much training time uh stefan it is always a pleasure to have you on, and, and I do admit that um, your wait to, to join us again was much too long. It was, but um, well, we've got a summer break coming up, and uh, after that, um, you all come over for a swim in the uh, Brandenburg Lakes, and um, we'll record some episode out there. Excellent, excellent. We, we do have a history of outdoor episodes, uh, you and I, so I think there's no reason not to keep the tradition alive. All right, uh, everybody, please do subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, tell your friends about this podcast. Everything is better with friends. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.